Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Today is episode 182, and we have a young budding star in the form of Parker Retzlaff of Jordan Anderson Racing in the Xfinity Series on with us, coming off a Top 10 finish at Talladega Super Speedway. His teammate won the race in the form of Jeb Burton. Parker himself finished in 7th. Now, this chat was actually recorded before Talladega, but nonetheless, 99.999% of the content was evergreen for this week. So I'm excited for you guys to hear that. Also discuss Dega real quick and look ahead to Dover Motor Speedway. But as we always do, before we do any of that, my friends, we got to pay homage to the number... 82, and I have no idea what Papa Siegel has cooked up for us this week, but let's just blindly throw it to him, and I hope he did something right. Thank you, Duve, and welcome, everyone, to episode 182. Last time through the numbers, we split our attention among Scott Speed, who drove number 82 and had one of the great names in the sport, Joe Eubanks, who had the most starts in the number without much to show for it, Cars movie campaigner Darren Ledfoot, who drove Car 82 and was involved in the big wreck at the Speedway of the South caused by Chick Hicks. Kachiga! And Hall of Famer Fireball Roberts, who was the first driver to race Car 82 in cup competition and who we gave more attention to in episode 122. That list more than covers the gamut on Car 82 campaigners worth paying attention to. So this week, I turned the Wayback Machine on myself, back to the year 1982. In September of that year, I enrolled as a freshman at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. I was interested in auto racing before then, but mostly IndyCar stuff. Being in Atlanta changed the game completely for me. Sundays of that year normally consisted of sleeping Saturday nights off, getting ready for the following week's classes, and listening to NASCAR on the radio. I was hooked. Little did I know that 40 years later, I'd be listening to my own son talk about NASCAR for a living on a different kind of radio. boy. Bobby Allison won the Daytona 500 that year, and being a native of Miami like me, he was my guy. 1982, like many other years, saw Allison and Darrell Waltrip battle for the championship down to the wire. Waltrip had won the trophy the year before, and he took the title again over Allison by 72 points. Oh well. Jeff Bodine and Mark Martin were the prominent rookies that year, and Bodine took that honor even though he started five races less than Martin. Ah, uh, good times. That's all for this week. Back to you, Duve. Thank you, Dad. And as I threw it blindly to him, this is me uh, 
recovering and catching it blindly from him. So I hope that he did well. And thank you for paying homage to the number 82. Very well done, as always, to you. Let's start off this episode, as we always do, with a good old-fashioned... And throw it straight over to our interview with Parker Retzlaff, who drives the 31 Jordan Anderson Racing Xfinity Series Chevrolet Camaro. Great chatting with Parker. He's a younger guy. He's a bit shy. I think he would probably tell that to you. But he is really kind of coming into his own in terms of on the racetrack. And I will honestly say off of it as well. He's gotten much, much better in interviews. Uh, and I enjoyed chatting with him. We go back a couple of years. So it was good to have that familiarity with him. It's good to chat with him a little bit more in depth because I hadn't really got into deep conversations as we did on this chat with him in the past. But from his beginnings in Wisconsin as a first-generation racer to growing up in Rhinelander, his starts in KNN, running for the Siegs last year, everything in between, including some realistic expectations he has for this year and maybe even looking into the future. Parker Retzlaff is a name that you are going to want to keep on your radar for years and years to come. And you're going to learn a lot more about him right now. Here's my chat with Xfinity Series competitor, Parker Retzlaff. Pleasure to welcome on to the show this week, driver of the 31 for Jordan Anderson Racing. It is Parker Retzlaff. We were just chatting, man. You are a full-on adult, some would say now, because you are now a North Carolina resident. Wow. How does that feel? Yeah, I mean, I uh, it feels good to actually be down here and I focus in on what I wanted to do for the last, you know, 12 years. So it feels good to move down here and uh, be just focused on this racing thing and uh, everything that comes with it. It's been a lot of fun. When did you move officially? Uh, well, I moved last year, but I was just living in an apartment. So now I moved into a house and it's been a lot more room and I got animals now and, you know, <laughs> it's all starting to come together. What kind of furry friends you got roaming around? Uh, I got some. I got a cat and a dog, or a couple of cats and a dog. Wow! So you're not lonely at all, huh? No, I'm not lonely. And, and my girlfriend's in the other room, so it's been okay. really good. And you got a lot of uh, memorabilia behind you, so it really does look like and feel like home. Yeah, I mean, just in my sim room, I just tried to put it together. Uh, my girlfriend told me that I needed uh, during the off week to actually put it together, so it didn't look like a disaster <laughs> in here. So. I started to put some stuff up, but there's still some stuff that's sitting in the closet that hasn't been put up yet. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a couple years older than you, but I think we both can agree. Happy girlfriend, happy life, right? Yeah. She wasn't a big fan of the whole just everything on the floor in my sim room, yeah. even though uh, she didn't like it. Yeah. She she keeps in shape. That's good. Um, all right, man. Well, it's been a really solid start to the year for, for you at JAR, your first full-time season. I know since Daytona. The luck factor hasn't really been on your guys' side, but the speed's been there, especially in qualifying, whether it's on Friday or Saturday. Now it's just kind of a handful or, I guess, several races into the year, your first full-time season. How you feeling about things right now? Uh, yeah, I mean, after Daytona, we started at a really high point of the year, and it kind of went downhill. Uh, we had a really bad couple weeks of just no luck. Uh, put ourselves in good spots every week and just kept having stuff not go our way, so... We went to Richmond. I felt like we were going to run really well. It was like everything, everybody was looking forward to it. And then we just had more bad luck, but we still salvaged a decent finish. And then we went to Martinsville and it, you know, started again really high and we actually had a good week. So I'm hoping that, uh, 
you know, that's just building blocks here, and then we'll just build on that and keep going forward, and our luck will start to change. Yeah. So Jordan Anderson Racing, they, as an organization, as a race team, they're still pretty new, but you can tell that they're kind of improving week to week. They're gaining some more confidence, some more notoriety. You as well, being a first-time, full-time driver this season, how has that partnership been so far, your guys' first time working together? Yeah, I've known Jordan for a while, but it's been really well. It's been really good, and, uh, you know, everyone's new, kind of new on our team. It's my first full-time year ever, so there's places I've never been to that we're going to, and, uh, you know, my crew chief is new to being a crew chief this year, so it's been good working with him. It's the first time I've ever worked with him, but it's been really well. I, I enjoy working with him, and I enjoy working with everyone at the 31 Funkway team. So uh, I feel like we're just, you need to keep building together, keep meshing together, and I think that we'll end the season uh, strong. What's been the hardest part so far? Because like you said, you know, you know Jordan, you've known him for a little bit, but and you had some experience in this Xfinity Series race car, but going to new tracks for the first time, working with a new crew chief who hasn't done this before, uh, dealing with the rigors and the stress of a full-time season. There's a lot of things that are new for you as a driver and personally, you know, moving officially to a new place for the first time. There's a lot of newness that's happened to you personally and professionally. What's been the hardest part so far for you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, you know, you can't get stuck on one thing. Like Daytona, we were at a really high, and then, you know, we were at a low the next week, really, uh, you know, with finishing 38th and being 13 laps down after damage on lap two. So, so you got to keep yourself at a, a neutral spot and uh, not get too excited or not get too down on yourself. Try and keep yourself at a neutral point and just keep going week to week and uh, keep pushing forward. So I think that we showed we can compete this week at Martinsville, and uh, we're just going to try and build on that and go into Talladega. That's easier said than done, though, right? I mean, how do you take the highs with the highs and the lows with the lows, the good with the bad, et cetera, et cetera, and, you know, not get too down on yourself or too overconfident because whether you like it or not, the next race is coming up on Saturday. Yeah, that's the whole thing is you you can be at a high point, but then you got to do it again next weekend. So it's just trying to keep yourself at a good point and uh, do what you know and just keep going forward every week and keep trying to build as a team, get better as a team, and uh, – just, you know, you're at the top together, or you're at the bottom together. So it's just everyone being together. And uh, I think that we've done really well this year. We've had our low points and everyone stuck together and our high points, everyone stuck together. So I just have to thank all those guys. I'm sure that your team owner, Jordan, knows a thing or two about dealing with the highs and the lows, being a, a former full-time driver himself. You mentioned that you guys have known each other for a while. You had a pretty good relationship for a handful of years. For listeners that may not be too familiar can you explain that a little bit further and how you guys go back a few years? Yeah, I mean, I really haven't. It wasn't like me and Jordan were on like a, you know, a call on each other basis, but I right, knew right. who he was and I was following him when he was just just had his uh, trailer and truck that he was driving the truck races with. So it's been really cool to see him as I grew up at, and him, you know, kind of grew up and build the Jordan Anderson Racing brand. So it's been cool to work with him and everyone at Bombrito and and then funk away for everything they've done for me this year. Has he been somebody that you've been able to lean on for advice, whether it's, you know, on the racetrack, how to deal with certain things, or do you view him more kind of as just like a boss and not like somebody you can confide in when it comes to stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, I think I lean on Jordan about a lot of things. It's, you know, the racing side of it and also, you know, I don't, I mean, not really, I wouldn't, I don't know, I don't see Jordan kind of as my boss, uh, even though he is my boss. So it's been really cool to just be friends with him and uh, 
you know, lean on him about everything in the racing side since he has a lot more experience than I do. I've just been trying to lean on everyone around us. We have, you know, people that are doing a long time. So I am still the new guy, even with having Jeb, who has so much experience over me. So it's just trying to lean on everyone I can. When did uh, conversations begin around making this full-time season with Funkaway and all the partners that you have happen with JAR? Like when at the point last year, maybe even if, even if it was after last year in the off season that things kind of started to come together, can you give us a timeline? Yeah. I mean, I think it was my first race with Funkway was Nashville last year and we finished 12th and, uh, that's when they started to talk a little bit, but there definitely wasn't anything that I set in stone that we were going to go full-time race. And it was a big thank you to everyone at team doing management for, you know, helping me put the whole thing together with Funkaway and everything they've done for me. So it was really on the off season. I think we were working on other stuff and didn't really know where we were going to end up. And then we found the JR deal and uh, it looked really good. And uh, it was just where we felt like it needed to be. Yeah, I had Team Dylan Management and Austin Dylan, Austin Craven, everybody over there as uh, on my list to ask you about. I wasn't aware until I was doing some extensive research for this chat that you were hooked up with them and working with them. How did that relationship first form up, and when did that start? Uh, that started, uh, holy, it was in the middle of last year. Uh, after Richmond, is when I started talking to Austin Craven, and that's when the deal started. And I've also been trying to lean on uh, – Austin Dillon a little bit for road course stuff and everything else I can because he's you know so good at that stuff and I was I struggled a little bit at the road courses here so uh, I've tried to lean on him and everyone I can uh, over there about uh, just learning and all their experience they have and what I can do to be better. It didn't look like you struggled at Coda, man. You hit the ground running there. I mean, I think the race we were really well, but at practice I struggled a little bit with just. You know, the whole thing of I've never even been on a road course before we got there. So it was a little bit of a change, but I feel like we I learned a lot. And I think that we can use that to build and actually be good at the road courses uh, throughout the year. Austin's resume kind of speaks for itself, right? He's a truck champ. He's an Xfinity champ. He's a Daytona 500 champ. He's a cup veteran at this point. He helped recruit Kyle Busch over to RCR to be his teammate this year. He's got to be a really, really invaluable resource for you to have as a full-time rookie in the Xfinity Series to have somebody like that to lean on for information, whether it's on the racetrack, off the racetrack, and obviously helping you with everything in terms of the management side of things. That must be a really nice resource to have. Yeah, I mean, a lot of uh, everything I have to do is just thank you to those guys. Uh, Craven's been a big help to me and, you know, keeping me in line and telling me what I need to do. So, uh <laughs> I've enjoyed working with him and uh, Austin, just everything with the racing side of it. He's, you know, like you said, he's uh, his resume speaks for himself. He's, you know, won championships and obviously knows what he's doing. So it's been a big help and I've really enjoyed working with everyone at TDM and uh, all my teammates over there also. Do you get to talk to him like over the course of a race weekend in person or is it more like during the week stuff while you're prepping? Uh, I mean, it depends on what it is. I feel like I, uh, I, I text him from here to there about stuff, just random questions that I have. But sure. and then I, when I see him around the racetrack, but I, you know, he's busy and uh, I'm focusing on other stuff. And the cup and Xfinity stuff is only together for so much time during the day. So yeah, uh, it's just usually during the week we text and uh, just when I have random questions for him. So even though you're down there in Race City, USA, now you're originally from Rhinelander, Wisconsin. Um, 
the Midwest racing culture, as you know, is a very, very rich one. It's a historic one for sure. I don't know the answer to this question. Are you a first generation racer in your family? Yeah, I am. I was, uh, my, my parents grew up watching racing, but I was okay. the first one to do it in my family. My, uh, my uncle raced ATVs a little bit, but definitely not any car stuff. I was the first one in my family to do that. And, uh, uh, I guess my grandpa and my uncle both raced, uh, my grandpa raced motorcycles and my uncle raced ATVs, but no uh, car stuff until I was in the family. So what made you catch the bug to actually get behind the wheel instead of just watching it on TV? Uh, well, it started out at the, uh, off-road races. I, I wanted to drive off-road race trucks, but that was, uh, out of the budget at the time. So we went to just the local short track level and I started racing sprint cars and, uh, then uh, we had a friend who bought a Bandolero for uh, us to start a series. So then we ended up just racing Bandoleros in Wisconsin, and it's grown into this whole asphalt thing. I like that for racing more than dirt. So it's just <laughs> kept building up to this. Yeah, I have the Wisconsin Bandolero series when you were, I think, nine years old on my list. Was that the kind of the first thing that you did in terms of competitive racing series growing up in the Midwest? Yeah, I raced uh, mini sprints. Uh, north of or like around rylander and the local tracks around there when i was growing up but i did that for two years and then i went to bandolero stuff is when i start started you know racing more competitively and traveling around i went you know to texas and all the nationals and all that other stuff so that's when i started really you know doing the competitive racing and then it's just worked up and then i went more to a local thing again with just some local like truck racing on asphalt and dirt and that stuff and then came down here and started racing and your parents your family was cool with that like supporting the the dream because you know on the surface first generation racer you never done anything like this before it's a lot of money it's a lot of time it's a lot of effort for sometimes a reward that on the other side is is almost unattainable but it seemed like you had a lot of support from the right people in your life to make it happen yeah i mean my my parents have always supported me my dad is been the biggest help in my career he's always supported me throughout the way and uh ponzi was a big help at the start of my career they've mm -hmm. been with me for the last 10 years so uh it's been really good to work with them i enjoy everyone over there also and uh everything i just thankful for everything they've done for me and and now they're still in the car it's just funk away is taking over a little bit with the whole xfinity stuff so uh get your funk away get it all right uh I was going to ask this at the end, but I'm going to ask now. There you got it right there. Uh, so Funk Away, tell the people, give your best sales pitch as an Xfinity Series rep for Funk Away. What's the product and why should you get it? Yeah, it's uh, it's an odor eliminator. So uh, you it's get not the a, Funk Away. Yeah. So it's not, a, you know, you're not trying to just block the odor. You're trying to get rid of it. So right. uh, they have a bunch of different ones for shoes and just big jobs and uh uh, like this one, this is the big jobs one. And, uh, <laughs> they have ones for your shoes and, uh, animal ones those. and automotive ones. And they just have everything you need. It's just, uh, it's an odor eliminator instead of just a blocker. I, I could use some of that cause I got big old stinky feet. So I need some funk away. Yeah. I definitely useful after the, the sweaty weekends at the racetrack. Oh, yeah. I, I can only imagine you got it stacked up in the 31 hauler. I'm sure. Yeah. And, uh, we have, we have three cabinets of it downstairs. So <laughs> So we got to, you know, it's always on deck around our house. So you, you can leave that laying around. You just can't leave your other stuff that you now have hung up and put away lying around. The funk away is fine, though. 
Oh, well, yeah, she put it all in cabinets, though. So uh-huh. she she uh, made sure it was all looked all nice downstairs of course, for, for of people course. come over. So you mentioned uh, the mini sprints. That was a division, the Wisconsin Bandolero Series. Uh, you traveled um, around the, the Midwestern states and also down to Texas at some points. Once you kind of graduated from those specific series, those specific cars, what were the steps that you took and your family took to get you on the path to where you are now up until when you got to the K&M Pro Series where we kind of met for the first time? Uh, yeah, I raced uh, the Midwest Truck Series, so like a uh, crate truck on asphalt around the Midwest, and uh, I did that for two years, and then I did a couple late model stock races at Myrtle Beach and Motor Mile, and uh, then I you know, made my first ever K&N start at Memphis in 2019, so it's almost mm-hmm. been four years since that. So Can you believe it's, it? It's crazy to think that it's been that long since I made my first uh, K&N start. I remember Gateway, that was when you got your first top five uh, running for Visconti Motorsports and our boy John Visconti III. You probably yep. have no idea about this backstory, but I was talking with John before the race, and I was asking him about you. I was like, so who's this Who's this Parker kid? He looks like he's you know 10 years old. He looks like he's like you know a, a wet towel is heavier than him. What's his deal? And John was raving about you, how you're super talented, coming with great partners, great family, all that good stuff. And I was like, all right, well, you know, sounds like it's pretty good. This is only a second start. So, you know, what's realistic? Top 10, top 15. He goes, top five. We get a top five. I'm going to buy you a pair of Yeezys. And he said it with his Long Island accent, right? So I'm like, okay, whatever you say. I think that was the race where um, the race ended early for some reason. I don't remember uh, yeah. for sure. Yeah, it was. We um, ended 22 laps early or something. Yeah, that's right. And I think, I don't know if Chase Cabry won. Maybe he did. I don't remember. But, All I cared about was you that day because you wound up finishing top five. And instead of running to victory lane, doing my job like I probably should have, I just ran to John and I pointed to his Yeezys. I said, I'm size 13. I'll give you my address later. Uh, And I was kind of joking because I don't really wear them. But he still owes me a pair. And every time he sees me, he talks about that. So I want to thank you first and foremost for getting me a pair of nice Yeezys that I do no longer have. But just going back to that day, I mean, that was a big day for you. First top five, second ever start with the K&M Pro Series field, a gateway, a big track like that. That had to be a pretty pretty proud moment for you. Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely was a, a big moment, and it was good to work with everyone over there with Visconti Motorsports and John and Bruce Cook, and they were also a big help in my career. And, uh, yeah, John ended up did buy, he did buy me a pair of Yeezys after, uh, he did. after okay. our race. So. I have them in the closet over there, so I don't I don't wear them anymore. But I yeah. did end up getting a pair. I love it. I don't wear them either. But maybe I'll just get them from him just to have for the memories. And then, you know, when you make it as a big-time cup champ, we'll just have that story to share with our Yeezys. Um, so I want to move on to last year now at Phoenix. That was your first-ever start in the Xfinity Series for RSS Racing in the Seags. You come out the gate, and you qualify sixth. How does that happen for a driver in their first ever start in the series to qualify inside the top 10 and almost in the top five? How did that happen? I think, you know, I felt like Phoenix with just a lot of my iRacing stuff. I was really good at Phoenix on iRacing. So I feel like it helped me a lot there. We were 14th in practice, my first laps ever in the car. So it was, uh, you know, working with Steve Addington and everyone over there was, was really good. And, uh, Steve was a big help to me. Him and uh, Matt were uh, a big help to me when I first started in the Xfinity Series last year. So they 
but kind of, uh, you know, didn't have that growing pain since they already knew what they were doing. He was kind of just trying to get me on the racetrack. So there was a lot of nerves going into it. I was, uh, you know, really nervous after I qualified sixth, but, and, uh, we really didn't have that good of a race, but we finally, you know, I showed that I had pace and I could do it. So, and then, uh, to go to Richmond the next week after that and qualify uh 10th in my, my mm-hmm. second race ever and finish 10th was, you know, another really good thing that I kind of feel like boosted my career. Yeah. I mean the next handful of races, I have 10th, 12th, 17th, another 12th, you know, the Siegs, they don't have bad equipment by any means. Right. But I think those finishes inside the top 15 on a regular basis, in my opinion, that's kind of outperforming equipment as to what they have. And that's no disrespect to Ryan and Kyle because they're doing great this year. But for you specifically, having the experience or lack thereof that you had in that series, racing around those people in that race car, I really think that you kind of lit, lit the world on fire in the mid-pack, so to speak, with those results. Did you feel like you were kind of outperforming what you had? And did you feel pretty good about your first few starts there? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, we ran really well. It was, uh, you know, I feel like we were good every time we showed up with them. And, uh, uh, I mean, we finished 12th, and our one 17th place finish was a mistake on pit road. I ended up missing the box. So I kind of, you know, put us back a little bit, and we had a couple other problems on pit road. But So I feel like we had top 15 every time we went out there, and that's where I feel like we will be this year once we get everything going and actually have some luck. I feel like we should, we should be racing top 10 every week. I forgot about Steve Addington and his involvement with the program last year. Um, you know, said the same thing about Austin. Steve's been around the block a time or two. He's dealt with his fair share of drivers and had a lot of success, a lot of trips to victory lane. What was it like getting to work with him and how easy did he make a transition that I would imagine is pretty daunting and pretty intense for you? It seemed like it worked out pretty well. Yeah, I mean, I give, you know, all the, most of the credit to, you know, our first couple races to him because he, you know, had us there every week. It wasn't really, you know, up to me. It was kind of just trying to drive to the best of my abilities, and he had us good cars every week. And uh, it was just really good to work with him and uh, all of his experience since he's, you know, won so many races with everyone and uh, been around for so long. And I, I still talk to him here and there when he's not busy doing stuff with other drivers now, so... It's been really good, and uh, I'm. Uh, I feel like I'm also in a really bad, uh, kind of a better spot this year with uh, my new crew chief Josh and everyone we have now. I, uh, you know, I've really enjoyed. He's been my favorite crew chief this year. He's a lot of fun to be around, and uh, it's been really good to work with him. I was going to ask that next. So Joshua Graham is your crew chief, like you said. He's he's kind of going into this for the first time as well. You're a rookie driver. He's a rookie crew chief. The bad luck has bitten you guys, but the speed, to your point has been there, which is a really, really good sign because the luck is bound to turn around at some point. It's been good to work with him so far, and you haven't really experienced any of those first-year blues working together for the first time? No, not really. Uh, you know, like, he's had us good cars, or had me guard good cars every week, and, uh, you know, they've been building good cars to shop everyone on our 31 Funkway team. So uh, it's been really good. Uh, we... In Las Vegas, we had damage. Josh put me in fourth for stage two at Atlanta. We blow right front and hit the wall and then have a hard, hard wreck at the end of the race. And then Coda just comes down to, uh, you know, me struggling a little bit in Richmond. We have a pit gun break on pit road and, uh, 
we then passed ninth under green flag, but we're lapped down. So it means nothing, but we still battle back to finish 16th. So we've had really good cars every week. It's just, we need some luck and stuff to actually go our way. So to start off the year, right, with, with JAR, you come out the gate strong again. And I know it's Daytona, super speedway may not be super indicative of how you'll run the rest of the year, but a fourth place finish at the world center of racing. I mean, somebody like you who grew up in the Midwest, but around racing, you know what that place means to so many people. How big of a deal was that to come out the gates and finish top five in your first ever start with the team? Yeah, I think it really gave everyone a lot of confidence, even though it was Daytona. It just, you know, put us at a good point starting the year. So we're hoping that we can go to Talladega and have another good finish on the Super Speedways. I feel like we've had, you know, with that and Atlanta being more, you know, like that, like Daytona this year, it's been uh, a lot of fun. I really enjoyed Atlanta. I know a lot of people weren't the biggest fan of it, but I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, I think that we've had speed every week at the Super Speedways, and I think that won't change this week. And I think we can go run up front. And then after Daytona, I know that the, the results and the finishes weren't indicative of the speed you guys had and kind of where you ran for the totality of the race. But qualifying-wise, you started fourth at Fontana the next week, 11th at Martinsville this past weekend. Two really good qualifying efforts that, again – kind of underscores the fact that whether it's Friday or Saturday or whenever you're qualifying, your one-lap pace is really, really good, it seems like. Is there any particular place or reason that you attribute that to? No, I think it's just, you know, the cars have been really good with everyone with Josh, and, uh, you know, just the short tracks are kind of, you know, more my thing. So we started fourth at Fontana, got qualified, got rained out, and I feel like we haven't even got to qualify in a lot of places since yeah. we've dealt with a lot of rain this year. I feel like... You know, 90% of the races we've been to have been rained out or or not rained out, but qualifying and practice been rained out. So it's put us behind a little bit with not having, uh, you know, the experience and everything at these places that we keep getting rained out at. You have only uh, failed to complete 23 laps this season heading into Talladega, which who knows what that'll hold. But as it stands currently, you, you completed every lap besides 23 of them. For somebody like you, who's as young as you are, you're still pretty green and inexperienced, all things considered, how valuable do you think that seat time in and of itself, even if you're not going to have race winning speed or run inside the top 10, or even if you're multiple laps down, just getting the car fixed and going back out there on logging laps, how significant and valuable do you think that is for somebody like yourself? I think it's really valuable as long as you ain't you know, too damaged where you're not even in the you know, is the same speed at all. So, sure. like Las Vegas, we had a couple of problems. I feel like it was kind of my fault and not having the experience, like you said, uh, with not knowing what I should do in those kind of situations when we have problems like that. So, uh, you know, like Las Vegas, we were 13 laps down from going to the garage to try and fix something. So, I and we still went out there and tried to finish every lap we could to just try and learn from when we come back at the end of the year. So, uh, we've just been trying to complete every lap we can and just get better and just keep working together better and just be better when we get to every other place or the place we go to twice. And I think there's also probably something to be said too, for keeping your race car clean, right? It's one thing to have issues on pit road or mechanically or whatever circumstances happen. It's another thing to be said for just keeping your nose clean, not having a scratch on the car and logging laps that way, gaining respect from your competitors who are not really used to racing around you. Cause when they see that yellow rookie stripe on the back, they may say, I don't know how I feel about this. But once they see you week after week and once they know that you can hold your own and you're capable, that goes a long way as well. 
Yeah, I think that was another thing that was good about this weekend at Martinsville. We, you know, we were up there. We didn't, I didn't really, you know, rough anyone up too bad or, you know, race anyone horribly because, you know, we are in our rookie year. I want to earn respect and not, you know, there to ruin anyone's day or, you know, make anyone too mad. So uh, I know that a couple of drivers came up to me and said that, it, you know, it was good to race clean and when other people weren't doing their best. So it was really good. I feel like we earned some respect this week and showed that we could be up there. And uh, it's just, you know, what the plan is this whole rookie year is just try and get better with me and Josh together and uh, earn everyone's respect. I'm curious if, if you feel comfortable sharing, can you share who some of those drivers were that, that thanked you for racing them clean? Cause we know when it comes to Martinsville, cleanliness isn't always the, uh, at the forefront of some people's minds. Yeah. I mean, I'll just name one. Uh, me and Sheldon talked after the race a little bit about, you know, racing clean, me and Sheldon race side by side for probably 45 laps or something during the race. And I was struggling a little bit with brake issues. Uh, I somehow, one of the switches got knocked down. So, I didn't have a right front brake fan, so I struggled a little bit there, but I still, uh, we still race side by side with clean. I don't really think we touched it all for those 40 or so laps we were side by side, and uh, it felt good to actually just race someone at Martinsville and not just drive it from the corner and use them to slow down. So it was really good. We had a, we had like a 20-minute conversation about it after the race, and, uh, you know, that's just what we need since he's, uh, you know, he is so good, and, uh it's, he's always at the front. So just gaining respect from everyone and showing we can be up there. Yeah, that's nice. And I think it also probably uh, was, was nice for Sheldon to see somebody race him clean when he was very pissed at all the college guys that he kind of considers de facto teammates. But he'll take it any way you can get it. That's good that you're getting the, uh, the recognition that's deserved for being a young driver, uh, you know, taking what the equipment gives you and, and racing clean. So I asked you about Joshua Graham, uh, what he's been like as your crew chief so far. You mentioned Jeb Burton as a teammate for a full-time basis this season. Uh, you raced around him a little bit last year in your limited schedule. What's he like to not just race around, but race with and work with as a teammate? Yeah, I think uh, Jeb has so much experience. So uh, it's trying to, you know, use what he tells me, but also just, you know, stay on our track and not too much focus on what their team is doing, you know they're going to, you know, we're a little bit different. So they're doing other stuff than we're doing. But uh, I feel like Jeb is uh, more aggressive than I'm right now just because he has so much more experience. And, uh, and uh, you know, he's, uh, I feel more willing to uh, just put himself in kind of a bad situation than I am. I feel like I'm more conservative at this point right now. I don't want to, I don't want to wreck cars too bad, you know, since it puts us behind a little bit. We don't have as many guys and, uh, as many cars as the other big teams, but I've been trying to, you know, get more aggressive without, you know, putting ourselves in bad spots. Do you feel yourself getting a little bit more confident behind the wheel? I mean, not necessarily putting yourself in a, in a compromised or precarious situation, but that aggressiveness that you talked about, have you found yourself getting a little bit more confidence and feeling more comfortable week to week? Yeah, I think, uh, I think I definitely have felt myself getting better and, uh, as weird as it seems, uh, after Atlanta taking the first big hit like that, I guess kind of, you know, put me in a space of it was my first big hit like that ever. So that, you know, everything is fine when it happens. And, uh, you know, it's going to happen if you're in the sport for a long time. You're going to have those yeah. big crashes. And uh, it's kind of just part of it. I will say, um, seeing, um, seeing Sam Mayer on his lid at Daytona, I was kind of looking for you because the 31 last year, the year before with Myatt, was uh, – into the catch fence of the pretty gnarly wreck. So I was having some flashbacks and I was like, well, Myatt is not in that car. Parker is, where's Parker? Oh, he's top five. All right, good. So 
Glad you didn't have a, an airborne experience at Daytona. Hopefully you don't this weekend either. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, I, I seen the Sam situation because I knew that, I knew that something happened as soon as they threw the yellow, as soon as we yeah. came off two there, because I kind of seen it happen because I was whatever, the second lane at the top there with Austin off two at Daytona and uh -huh. Austin and Sam kind of turned each other or, you know, tried to a late block and got turned. So I was right there. I watched Sam, you know, get turned, but I didn't know he flipped at the time, but you know, it's good to see that you can have those big crashes and NASCAR has the car safe enough that you can, everyone can walk out of it. Yeah. As uh, as crazy dangerous as a sport is, it's good that it's a, it's a safe one. I got a few more things for you here. So I asked about your crew chief. I asked about your teammate. I asked about Austin. How about Jordan as a boss? You said that you don't really consider him like a boss type figure, more kind of like a friend, somebody that you can bounce advice off of who also just happens to be footing the bill for your race car and your career right now. Um, What's he like as a boss to work with and work for? No, it's been really good. I really enjoy Jordan and everyone over there. So it's been really fun. We have fun when we're not, you know, focusing on the racing. We did ride around on some scooters in uh, Texas together, which is, you know, really fun. I've never done that before. So like the, the little scooters downtown you can ride and yeah. that stuff is it's really fun. You know, he, he knows how to focus when it's time to focus and also have fun. And, uh, you know, when we have some time off. I saw him a couple weeks ago. It looks like in terms of the, the healing process from last year at Talladega, he is doing miles and miles better, and he said that he feels good. He looks good. Any update on, on that from your perspective? You see him more than pretty much anybody else. Yeah, I mean, I don't know all the way about the healing, but as far as I know, he's healing really well, and he won't have any, uh, you know, long-lasting, like, you know, issues or anything like that. He, sure. You know, as far as I've heard, he's healing really well, and uh, everything looks good. That's great. That's great. Um, you have been number 79 in like pretty much everything that I could scowl the internet for. It's in your Twitter handle. I think it was in your Bandolero, your truck. Um, I don't think you were 79 in K&N. I think you were 42 and 74 before that. Uh, where does that number come from? What's the significance there? Uh, actually, that goes back to my... Uh uncle racing four-wheelers i took his number when he was racing four-wheelers so okay the 79 number comes from him racing four-wheelers my uncle was someone that i you know really spent a lot of time with and looked up to when i was younger so he uh yeah that all goes back to him and uh taking his number i'm sure he very uh he appreciates that maybe maybe down the road in the future whether it's with jar or another team whatever i feel like the number 79 is not a very common one uh that's kind of higher up so maybe you can you can bring that back to a NASCAR national series and, and uh, pay homage to your uncle that way. That'd be pretty cool. Um, that would be really cool. Yeah. I, I read that you are a big Kyle Larson fan. Um, I find it interesting for a couple reasons, mostly though, because he's a current driver and you're sharing the track. You're sharing the garage sometimes with him. He's obviously killing it when one's the second uh, won his second race of the season this past weekend have you gotten the chance to say hello to him or cross paths or anything so far this season? No, I have not. It's definitely, well, it all started about almost 10 years ago now in Texas. I met Kyle Larson. Uh, he came in Trovo Legend car at uh, the little Texas racetrack when we were racing bandos. So it all started there. And now it's just kind of wild that, uh, you know, we're kind of in the same garage every week yeah. or, you know, next to each other and different garages. But so I haven't got to say hi to him, but yeah, I am still a big Kyle Larson fan. All right, you got to do it this weekend, man. Just stay an extra day, go to intros, and just say hi, and then leave. All right. 
I think I am saying for the cup race this week. So all right, so <laughs> you, you got to get it done then, right? Come on, I think you can. I think you can arrange a thing or two. If not, I'll give you. I'll give you John Edwards, who is Kyle's PR. I'll give you his number or something. <laughs> all right, sounds good. You got to do it and report back, please. Um, all right. I also read that you are a big basketball fan. Um, are you a Milwaukee Bucks fan by any chance? If I'm going to watch basketball, it will be the Bucks. Yes, I, I'm not. I can't. I like basketball, but I can't. I'm not a person that can just like binge watch it and uh, just stay updated on the whole season. But if I am going like, to watch basketball, I am going to watch uh, the Bucks. Do you, do you play a lot, or did I get bad info? Oh no, I, uh, me and my roommate and a couple other friends go to the basketball okay. court and play. But I'm not, you know, I'm not no hardcore basketball player. That's for I sure. feel you. I feel you. I asked um your your fellow Wisconsinite. I always tease him, Derek Kraus. He's a big Bucks fan, Packers, all the Wisconsin teams, and just hearing him try to pronounce Giannis's last name is just hilarious and, and comical. So I won't ask you to try. But I'm not just, gonna try. <laughs> yeah, it, well, if and when Derek runs another Xfinity race, I don't know his schedule, but you guys can bond as Wisconsinites over that. Just ask him and and tell him that I told you to do it. He'll get a kick. Out of right. it, I promise. I promise. Sounds good. Um, what about any other sports? Do you play any? Did you play any growing up? Any extracurricular activities that? go on on the gridiron or on the court or anything like that uh i wrestled for for two years and then oh. uh and i played football for one year but i'm uh, a little bit too small to keep playing football so i, was I figured say, that it was I, uh... probably uh, not in the best <laughs> interest yeah i mean we've known each other long enough i can say this no offense i do not take you as a football no. player my man you uh I, f- I feel like on a serious note that's kind of like dangerous for you. you you're just too small and too skinny for that Oh yeah, it was uh, it was it was when I was a lot younger, but yeah, yeah it's just yeah. even even at that point I wasn't big enough to play football. So no, now I I I feel like I watch football a lot more than any other sport, but yeah, uh, yeah, Packers, Panthers, who you like? The Vikings. Oof, interesting. Not <laughs> I, spoken like a fake Wisconsiner. I I don't know why it's just always been my team. Actually, it started. Uh, my grandma was a huge uh, Packers fan. Okay. And I used to go to her house every weekend. And uh, so I, I just, I don't know, it was my thing when I was growing up. I would never root with the team against her. I had yeah. to go against her. So I picked the Vikings because it was the team that she hated the Packers losing <laughs> to the most. That's fair. Um, are you a Kirk Cousins guy? Are you a fan? Are you on board with that? Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm on board with it right now. I mean, <laughs> I don't we'll really have a choice. Later in the regular season, let's yeah. see how he's doing. Well, he's a Michigan State grad, so am I. So I'll always be a fan of Kirk. But I'm a Commanders fan here in D.C. We had him for a little bit. It was a bit of a rocky relationship. I'm, I'm glad that he's thriving. So good luck to you and your Vikings. Um, you mentioned iRacing. That is very, very big for you. You're sitting in your seat right now. You got your headset on, the whole deal. Um, when did you start on that service? And you know how valuable is it? For you, because I know during COVID too, you kind of became a household name on iRacing because you were winning everything and anything in sight. Yeah, I mean, actually, I just two weeks ago I got my ten-year thing on iRacing as a ten-year awesome. badge. So uh, it's wild to think that it actually has been ten years because I've been racing for twelve now. So yeah, I started iRacing two years after I started racing. So uh, it's just I did a lot. I didn't start even really competitively iRacing until twenty. 2019 yeah so that was when i actually started irising a lot and i've also kind of backed off of it now with uh you know the real life stuff i'm doing a little bit of the off-road stuff like i said earlier i like the off-road stuff so 
I've started doing more of that at a competitive side of irising since doing the coke stuff takes too much time. Yeah. I like how you call it the real life stuff. That's when you know you're an adult. Oh yeah, the you know the real life uh, NASCAR stuff instead of the i racing NASCAR yeah. stuff, which takes just as much time. I'm sure it does. I'm sure. So you got your ten year badge a little bit ago. That means you've been i racing since you were what nine or ten years old. Yeah, I was. I was Man. nine, not a long time ago. Yeah, seriously. Um, during COVID, I mean, it was a weird time for everybody, right? I'm sure you're trying to kind of like figure out your career path as everybody's trying to navigate this this new world, a new way of life. Um, I feel like it had to be a pretty good resource for you to just stay up, stay sharp, but also you gained some notoriety and you gained some headlines because you were just winning, again, like I said, a lot of events on that service against some really, really prominent names too. Yeah, I was uh, actually, we talk about it uh, sometimes. I did, I was doing, uh, I was doing a league race a night for like, five months straight I was racing every night of the week Man. so it uh definitely a long a lot of long nights sitting at my computer is probably not the best for my health but uh I did it and I feel like I did uh you know gain a lot of attention there with you know being good at eye racing and uh it kind of I feel like helped my career yeah no doubt um all right wrapping up here I want to ask what you think realistic expectations are for the rest of this season for you and Jordan Anderson racing, assuming that we get the luck portion of things squared away and you're able to finish where you run based on pure speed. You mentioned, you know, top 15s is kind of where you're expecting to run, maybe some top 10s here and there. In terms of the totality of the season, what do you think realistic expectations are when we when we get to Phoenix at the end? Uh, I think I want to be definitely top 15 in points right now is my goal is just keep trying to have, cons uh, you know, good weeks and, uh, end up being top 15 in points and maybe, you know, end up in the playoffs if, uh, if everything can go our way. And I know it's it's very early, but it's never too early to look ahead into the the not-so-distant uh, future in terms of 2024 and beyond. You know, any young driver, I'm sure that their goal, they would say, to be a cup champion or in the cup series, things of that nature. Do you have anything in mind in terms of what you're looking at for next year and even two, three, four, five years down the road in terms of your NASCAR career? Uh, I don't. I'm not uh, looking for, or I'm not, you know, like uh, stuck in anything that far ahead yet. I'm, you know, trying to focus on this year and be the best I can, and uh, next year I'll fall in the line how it should. So, uh, you know, hopefully we'll be back to do another full-time year somewhere. But uh, right now we're just focused on this year and trying to get the best finishes we can. Living in the moment. Spoken like a true professional. Parker, I appreciate your time, man. It's been great to to see your career blossom into what it is now. And uh, I appreciate you giving me so much time. Like I said, we go back a handful of years. So it's good to, good to see you at the track always. And it's been good to catch up and learn a little bit more about you, your life, your real world stuff, <laughs> and uh, your career on the racetrack as well. So go get him at Talladega. And good luck the rest of the way. I'm sure we'll be chatting soon. Thank you. And we are back. Whew. Told you that was a good one, right? Went about 40 or so minutes with Parker, a little bit over our scheduled allotted time. But thank you to him for carving out so much time. He was... Shut up, Siri. I do not want to call Zoe Gavel. No, I don't. Cancel. Uh, okay. Anyways, back to... I, I hope that my microphone picked that up. And I hope that Zoe's listening. Uh, she's definitely not. But anyways, uh, thank you to Parker for... The time and thank you to Chris Hecht of Jordan Anderson Racing for helping coordinate that conversation 
as well. Looking forward to see what Parker's got up his sleeve and what they can muster up for the rest of this year. Maybe even sneak into the playoffs and Jordan Anderson Racing can have not one but two of their cars in the postseason. Wouldn't that be something? Just real quick, want to recap what we saw this past weekend at Talladega Super Speedway. Blah, shout out to Kerry and Toby of the final lap. Uh, not the, the most scintillating Super Speedway race, but it wasn't the worst one either. There wasn't really any single file racing, but there really wasn't any three wide racing for extended periods of time either. And that's just kind of a product of the package we have with this current next gen car. I think that there needs to be a lot of improvement made to the current Super Speedway package, Daytona, Talladega, Atlanta, but NASCAR has much, much bigger fish to fry when it comes to the short track package, even the intermediates to a certain extent, and obviously still focusing on the ever-changing landscape of driver safety. But Kyle Busch wins the race, kind of a right place, right time type scenario, right? Bubba's blocking Blaney, Busch dives underneath, caution comes out, Lo and behold, for the first time in 15 years since 2008, it just blows my mind every time I say it, Kyle Busch wins on a super speedway. It did not feel like it had been 15 years to me, but I'm sure it did to him. So congratulations to him. And now we are on to Dover Motor Speedway this weekend for the worth 400 on Sunday. Unfortunately, at the time of this recording, the weather looks pretty, pretty, pretty bad. But hopefully that improves and hopefully we get all the racing scheduled in that we need to to make it a good, fun weekend. I will be on site on behalf of SiriusXM NASCAR Radio. So if any of my East Coast Mid-Atlantic friends are going to be on site as well, please stop me, say what's up. Let's chit-chat a little bit and try to uh, drown out our rainy sorrows with some NASCAR talk. And that'll wrap things up for episode 182 of Victory Lane. 2.0. Hope you guys enjoyed what you heard here today. And if you did, please consider leaving a rating and a review. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google, SoundCloud, even that little green app. Anywhere you get your pods, we should be available there for your consumption. And if we're not, please drop me a line and I will try to rectify that issue for you. We will be back next week with another guest from the world of motorsports. And until next time, I hope you guys enjoy the racing action at Dover Motor Speedway this weekend. Stay dry, stay happy, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, everybody.